Well, good morning, airline. We are so blessed to be worshiping with you guys this morning. We know things look a little different, but that is not going to stop us from worshiping. So if you'll get up on your feet and join us as we worship this morning. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the a seat. It's so good to see you this morning. Great day to be able to worship 
together. And so I know we have a few visitors here. My name's Zach. I'm the lead pastor here at Airline. And uh, so excited that you're here. If you're visiting with us this morning, love to connect with you um, in the in the seat back in front of you. There should be a connection card. Love for you to fill that out um, and just share with us a little bit more about who you are. We also have a gift for you in the foyer after worship. would love to meet with you and give you a gift. And so, so excited that you're here. Um, a few things that are coming up. So this coming Wednesday, we're going to have an end of the year celebration for the kiddos. And so adults, we will just be helping out with the kiddos. So we won't have adult Bible study um, this week. And so you can see a few things coming up in your bulletin. And of course, big things coming up. We've got VBS coming up. And so you can see those dates. You can also register your kids for that. And uh, love to see you. We're going to have a great time at VBS June 12th through the 16th um, in the morning. And we're going to have a fantastic time teaching our kiddos about Jesus. And um, we're super excited for that. With that being said, you can probably tell things look a little bit different this morning. It's not normally like this on a Sunday morning. Um, we have our children are going to be coming and presenting a musical, Fish Tales. And so that means I'm going to turn it over to Mandy and she's going to share a little bit and lead us into that. Thank you. I just wanted to thank you guys for coming out tonight and tell you just a little bit about what we've done this year on Wednesday nights. So we do um, Kids Life on Wednesday nights. This year we've studied in depth the Sermon on the Mount. So the kids have been learned a lot about what the kingdom of God is like and how different it is from the world around us. Um, they've learned a lot of scripture throughout this year with the lessons. Um, that scripture they hide in their hearts. It's not about how much they learn, but that means that they know scripture and they can pull it out when they need it, when they're at school or when they're out wherever they are. So I think that's super important. Um, today, we've worked the past few weeks to present a musical for you guys, Fish Tales. It's very cute. I hope you'll enjoy it. But through that musical, the kids have learned about the early secret sign of believers, the Christian fish, the ichthus. Um, we also talked about the Bible story, the feeding of the 5,000. And it's got about how God provided with just fish and bread. So I hope you guys enjoy us here at the Fish Tales Fishing Tournament. Y'all enjoy. Fine, howdy high, fishers, and welcome to my Fish Tales Fishing Tournament. Now, I want you to do two things for me. Sign up for your favorite contest and have a great time fishing. Hey there, Taylor. Hey, Mr. Guild. This is Drew. Drew, good to meet you, buddy. Hello. And this is my niece, Gillian. Heidi, hi. And our reigning tournament champ, Theo. Thank you, thank you. But Theo's not off the hook today because he's in for some competition from Miss Gillian Gill. Oh, really, Miss Gill? 
So at this tournament, we fish while you tell stories, right? Not just any stories, Bible stories about fish. Well, what do we like to call them? Fish tales! This lake. I sure hope so, Drew. After all, this is your first fishing tournament. My first fishing tournament? It's my first time to fish. Oh, you'll do fine, Drew. So, Gillian, you like my new tandem blades? And of course, if that tackle doesn't land the big fish, I've got Carolina rigs, jerk bait, crank bait, spinner bait, fluorescent worms, plastic lizards, and these lovely little marabou jigs. Marabou jigs? What planet is he from? I think it's called Neptuna. 
I'm afraid Theo eats, breathes, and sleeps fishing. Yeah, last year Theo won trophies for Master Caster, Greater Baiter, Better Netter, Spinner Winner, and Super Scooper. Correction, that was Super Duper Scooper. You guys must really love to fish. Why, well, you've got fish on your shirts, hats, and even over there on your tackle box, Mr. Gill. You mean those two curved lines that cross to form a fish? Uh-huh. That's called an ichthus. In Greek, it stands for Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. Oh, yeah. I see those igloos everywhere. <laughs> no, no, no. Not igloos. Ichthus. Nowadays, everyone knows that as a sign of the Christian faith. But hundreds of years ago, it was a secret sign known only to believers. Pretty cool, huh? So now that you know about the fish, it's time that you know about some fish tails. Come on, everybody gather around. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Watch where you're pointing that pole, buddy. We don't want to hit anyone with a hook. Okay, can we listen while we're fishing? Yes, uh -huh. sir. 
So most people call this tale the feeding of the 5,000, but I like to call it great fish for grateful folks, and it's found in the Gospel of John. Actually, Uncle G, the story is found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You're right, Gillian. So why don't you help me tell it? I sure will, Bluegill. As you wish, catfish. Good job, Gillian, and you kids, too. No offense, Mr. Gill, but you expect us to swallow that story hook, line, and sinker? Well, that's why it's called a fishtail, because like all of Jesus' miracles, it seems... Too good to be true. But it is true. You see, God's the master of miracle math. Well, I just read what it says here in my pocket New Testament, Matthew 14, 20, where I drew the little fish. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Sweet sounds like the original all-you-can-eat night at Fisherman Fred's. Yeah, that makes the pilgrim's feast seem like a picnic. 
And according to this passage, it was the day of Thanksgiving for Jesus. Because what did the scriptures say? Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. But who was Jesus thanking? His heavenly father, our heavenly father. Because whether it's a fish sandwich or a Thanksgiving feast, it's always God who provides it and God who deserves our thanks. So Jesus was like saying a blessing over the food. Yeah, something like that. At my house, we just say, God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food. Well, Drew, if that comes from a grateful heart, then that's a mighty fine blessing. Let's talk to God as if he were right here with us, because he is, and aren't we thankful for that? You better believe it. I just got the first strike. Hey, way to go, Theo. Well, this is a fine kettle of fish. So how do you land 
into fish anyway. You really don't know anything about fishing, do you? Look, you pull the line taut to set the hook. Then, well, here, you bring him in. Me? Thanks, Theo. He's putting up a fight, so reel him in slowly. Oh, look, look, look! I got it! All right, Drew, your first fish. Hey, that's a sweet little bass. And it's a keeper. Wow, thanks, Theo. That's a great little fish. You hear that, kids? A great fish and grateful folks, just like in our fish tale. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. That's cool. Thank you, kids. Excellent job. Let's give it up for them one more time. <laughs> let's, let's also give a hand to Mandy and, and Aaron, everybody that volunteered, put all this together. Amen. Great job. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to kind of transition for just a moment, about to go into the sermon. So as the kids are moving out and we get a few things set up, take, take just a few moments and greet five people around you as we get ready to go into the message. So greet five people around you. Listen, we don't want to be that friendly of a church. I'm just kidding. And so again, it's so good to see you this morning as we make our way back to our seats. Uh, 
I'm just kidding. I love, I love the fellowship. Love the fellowship. Uh, did, didn't, our, didn't our kiddos do an excellent job this morning? Let's hear it for them one more time. Great job. And so I invite you to turn your Bibles to that exact scripture, Matthew 14. That's where we're going to be looking at today. And I, I love the, the, the story and the message behind it, um, and particularly that, that, that discussion of the ichthus and its symbolism. Because in the first three centuries of the church, the church is dealing with immense persecution. It wasn't like you could just go to a large building and gather together with the saints for worship and the word and encouragement and all of that stuff. You were under immense persecution. You could die for your faith. And so they came up with this secret symbol so that they could identify where local bodies of believers were. And so we actually, I actually have an example of it. Um, if we could throw it up on the screen. I know that's kind of hard to see, but this is from about second century Ephesus. And you can see there's the big circle, that's another Christian symbol. And then off to the left, you can see the outline of a fish. So you see the outline of the fish. And then you have the iota, the chi, the theta, the upsilon, and the sigma up there. The ichthus in Greek, literally standing, standing for Jesus Christ, God's son, Savior. That's what the ichthus was. It was this secret symbol for believers to identify with one another. And how they identified was in the identity of Jesus, that Jesus is God's son. He's the savior. He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. This is who Jesus is. And so then the imagery of the fish, the Bible or the New Testament and the Gospels, there's a lot of imagery of fish because this was a common cultural connecting point in Jesus' day, especially there in Israel. Because you're sitting right there on the Mediterranean, you've got the Sea of Galilee, you've got all of this stuff. Fishing was a large part of the economy. It would be like if Jesus was in modern-day Gainesville, he wouldn't be talking about fish, he'd be talking about chickens. Could you imagine if that was the, instead of a Jesus fish, there was a Jesus chicken. But that was just the point of cultural connection. He used that as an illustration for his, for his body, for his church, for his disciples to learn. So Matthew chapter 14, we, we have the feeding of the 5,000. So let's read through the text together and then notice a few things. So starting at verse 13 says, now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. And he, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. 
and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. They took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over, and those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning, and we thank you and give you praise. God, thank you for, um, God, just our, our, our kiddos that have come and they've sung and they've prepared. Thank you for that. God, thank you for that blessing of being able to see them. And so, God, we pray now as we break open your word, would you hide me behind the cross? And, God, let us see what you have for us today in your word. And God will give you all the praise, honor, and glory. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. So really, this is, we, we've all heard this. We grew up hearing this in vacation Bible school and in Sunday school and all of those things. We know this story. And so I'm probably not going to tell you anything new today. But there's just some points of emphases that I want us to see in this text that I think makes application to us today. And so first and foremost, going back to the beginning, I want us to see Jesus' compassion. It says, now when he heard, when Jesus heard this, if we go back and we read, we read the death of John the Baptist. That John the Baptist defied Herod, called Herod out, and so Herod kindly cut his head off. And so John the Baptist has died. And so Jesus hears this. Now, we know the relationship that Jesus and John the Baptist had, that John the Baptist was the one who baptized Jesus. John the Baptist was the forerunner for Jesus. He was the one, he was the voice crying out in the wilderness, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That John the Baptist. So we can only imagine as Jesus withdraws, to go to a desolate place by himself, there's probably some mourning that's taking place, even though, because we see even in the book, in, on the story of Lazarus, Jesus mourns with the people, even though he's well in control. So Jesus is going through a lot in this moment. It says, but when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. Like Jesus is just trying to get some quiet time. He's just trying to get some alone time. He's probably going to the desolate place to go spend time with the Father, and yet the crowds are following him. It says, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. So, what I want us to understand this morning is that Jesus' compassion is not constrained by convenience. I love reading stories of the false gods of Jesus' day, really throughout the entire Bible, that a lot of the pagan deities of the day you had to try to get their attention. 
And that if one of the little G gods were to answer your prayer, you had to say the right words and you had to get their attention. And really, they had to be in the mood to answer your prayer. But notice here, Jesus. Jesus is going off into the wilderness to be alone. And he sees the crowds, and instead of looking at the crowds and saying, I have other things that need to be done, he has compassion on them. Instead of looking at the crowds and saying, you don't understand what's going on in my life. You don't understand what's just happened. You're just here to be healed. You're just here to do this. You need to go find something else. He doesn't look at them and say that. But he has compassion. He has compassion that's not constrained. It's not impacted by timing or anything else, but he has compassion. But then we move from Jesus' compassion to the disciples' concern. It says, now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Notice the disciples have concerns and these are valid and legitimate concerns. Jesus, we're out here in the middle of nowhere. There's nowhere to eat. There's nowhere to get food. We might as well be in Gillsville right now. Just kidding. Jesus, this place is desolate. Notice this, this is a valid concern, is it not? How are we supposed to get food for all of these people? There's nothing out here. But then Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. Jesus, we're out here in the middle of nowhere. You want us to give them food? This is all we have. Five loaves and two fish. That's all we have. Their concerns are valid and legit. Notice their concerns. The disciples' concerns were people-focused. They're concerned about the people. They recognize the people need to eat. They recognize the people have needs. And so they're sitting there going, Jesus, we don't have enough here to take care of all of these people. Let's just send them back to their towns, send them back to their villages so they can get something to eat. They were people focused. I don't believe that this is the disciples selfishly saying this. I think they recognize the people's needs and they're sitting there going, we can't meet these needs. They were people focused. But here was the disciples' mistake. They thought their needs could be satisfied somewhere apart from Jesus. Hear me this morning. 
they thought that the people's needs could be satisfied somewhere apart from Jesus. And hear me, it was true in Jesus' day, and it is still true in our day, that people's greatest need will always be Jesus. So our goal and our mission and our ministry is to always point people to Jesus. Not, hey, you need to go find satisfaction here. You need to go get this fixed here. You need to go do this over there. And then once you get those things taken care of, then you can come to Jesus. People's greatest need will always be Jesus. But not only that, where the disciples' concerns, people focused, the disciples' concerns were also practical. Okay, Jesus, you want us to feed them. There's thousands of people here, and all we have are five loaves and two fishes. Like, like Jesus, this isn't the free samples at Costco. These people are hungry. They need to eat, and this is all that we have. We can't do any more than that. We could maybe feed 10 to 12 with what we have, but we, we certainly can't feed thousands with what we have. Legitimate concern, is it not? How are we supposed to meet this need when this is all we have? And you see, again, another mistake in the disciples' thinking. Their mistake was thinking what was in their hands would be the same in his hands. That in their hands was just five loaves and two fishes. And that if they just simply gave this to Jesus, in Jesus' hands would just be five loaves and two fishes. But when we place it in his hands, it's not five loaves and two fishes anymore. That when we place it in his hands, it may not seem like much to us, but when we place it in his hands, it becomes exponentially more. You say, you may be sitting here today and you go, I don't, I don't have much to offer Jesus. We talk all the time about our time and our talents and our treasures. You may be sitting here going, I don't have much time to offer Jesus. I don't have a whole lot of talents to offer Jesus. And I especially don't have a whole lot of treasure to offer Jesus. You're making the same mistake as the disciples. Because what's in your hand is not the same as what's in his hand. That you may not have a whole lot of time to offer Jesus, but when you place that time in his hand, it becomes exponentially more. When you place those talents in his hand, it becomes exponentially more. When you place those treasures in his hand, it becomes exponentially more. You see, Jesus is not concerned with how small 
of an item is in your hand. He's just simply concerned as to whether or not you'll give it to him. Whether or not you'll sit there and go, Jesus, you take this. Jesus, would you take this? Would you use it? Because it's not much in my hand. But in your hand, it's exponentially more. So the disciples had legitimate concerns. Now, I, I don't like to play the what-if Bible game because God's perfectly in control. But I just can't help but to imagine what would have happened this day if the disciples had executed their vision for the day? Okay, Jesus, we don't have anything. Let's send them home. And Jesus, for some reason, we're to say, okay, send them home. They would have missed it. They would have completely missed it. And they would have missed it in thinking they were doing the right thing. Like, I, I don't know if Jesus had staff meeting with his disciples during the week. Like, could you imagine they go to staff meeting the next week and John's like, man, we dodged a bullet the other day. Good call, Peter, telling them to go away. Yeah, I don't know what we would have done if Jesus would have told us to feed them. We didn't have anything. It's a good thing we sent them home to go get their own food. They could have thought they were doing the right thing. But all of these people would have missed point three, Jesus care. How he cares for people. It says verse 18, and he said, bring them here to me. Notice Jesus doesn't go, man, you're right. That's not a whole lot of fish and bread. He just simply says, bring them here to me. It's not your job to wonder or worry about, is this enough? Just bring it to him. Bring them here to me. So he takes it. They order the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied. Off of five loaves and two fishes, they all ate and were satisfied. Notice first and foremost, Jesus' care is astounding in that it does not make any sense to you and I. How is Jesus capable of feeding the multitudes on that little amount of food? It doesn't make any sense, but it's what Jesus does. He simply takes it and he feeds them. It's astounding, but not only is Jesus' care astounding, notice Jesus' care is abundant. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces left over. They came in with five loaves and two fishes. 
and they leave with more leftovers than they came in with. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up in our minds. We can't calculate it. We can't put a scientific formula to it. But Jesus abundantly blessed them. And I just can't help but wonder, what is it that you and I are holding on to, thinking I need this, when Jesus has something so much better on the other side. Like, don't get me wrong, this is not a prosperity message, this is not a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel message, that's anti-gospel. But Jesus takes care of his children. But sometimes that requires us to give up what's in our hand. That we oftentimes live our lives in such a way that we white knuckle grip everything and we can't live open handed. The disciples could have said, Jesus, listen, if we feed these people, we're not gonna have enough food for us to eat. Jesus, if we meet the needs of this crowd, what are we going to do? Jesus, if we do this, there's going to be nothing left over, and there's probably going to be some people hungry out there. But it's yours. And they left with 12 baskets full. And then when he gives the number, and those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. So all in all, we can safely assume this is well in excess of 10,000 folks. But Jesus met their needs. Jesus met them. So this brings us to our central idea this morning. Our concerns and constraints do not impact Jesus' capacity. Our concerns and our constraints do not impact Jesus' capacity. Notice throughout this entire thing, Jesus has compassion on the people and his disciples. They're saying good things. They're saying right things, but they've got concerns and they've got constraints. Jesus, this is a desolate place. Let's send them home. No, you need to feed them. Jesus, we only have this. Bring it to me. Nowhere in this entire situation is Jesus scratching his head going, man, y'all are right. Nowhere is Jesus going, You're, we probably can't do this. He's just simply saying, bring them to me. Jesus' capacity was not limited by the disciples' concerns and constraints. And here's the encouraging word for us today. It still isn't. 
I don't know if that's good grammar or not. But Jesus was not concerned with the constraints of the disciples in his day, nor is he concerned with the constraints of his followers today. His capacity is not limited. So as the band comes back to the stage, or semi-band, we, we had to do some last-minute shuffling. Quez did a fantastic job getting it all together. But church, here's the question I wrestled with all week. What if we really lived like we believe that? Like what if we really lived that way? What if we really lived believing that Jesus was not constrained by everything we think he should be constrained by? What if we really lived open-handed and said, instead of, saying Jesus, instead of waiting for Jesus to say, bring it to me, we just went ahead and took it to him? What if we really lived that way? Like individually, what if we lived that way? What if we lived in such a way that, what if I lived in such a way that everything in my life I was open-handed about? And just said, Jesus, I, it doesn't make sense. I don't know how you're going to do this, but I'm just bringing it to you. I have concerns, I have constraints, but none of those things impact you. What if I live that way? What if, what if you live that way? Can I tell you what that would breed in our lives? It would breed a level of anticipation to see God do something mighty. If we live that way. Why? Because if I'm constantly going, Jesus, here, you take this. I want to see what you can do with it. Don't you think I'm going to be aware to watch and see how God does something with that? And in anticipation to see God do something. But not only that, church. What if, what if we corporately as a church live that way? What if we corporately as a body of believers said, listen, Jesus, here's everything that's going on. Here's all of this. Here's our concerns. Here's our constraints. But we're just going to bring them to you and see what you do with it to see how you are at work with it. Because I've said it before, I'll say it again. Church, Jesus is not constrained by our staff, our leadership. He is not constrained by our church budget 
None of those things impact the capacity of Jesus. None of them do. But here's oftentimes where we find ourselves. We think his capacity is limited. Like, like Jesus, you're calling us to go make disciples here and make disciples among the nations. But Jesus, here's our church budget. How are we supposed to do that? Bring it to me. Jesus, here's the, we want to go make disciples, but we've only got X number of people in church. Bring them to me. Jesus, you're calling us to do big things. Bring them to me. What if that was our mindset as a church? What if that was our mindset as a local body of believers, that instead of viewing Jesus through the lens of our own concerns and our own constraints, what if we viewed our concerns and constraints through the lens of Jesus' capacity? Do you think that would drastically change the way we went about everything we did? Do you think that would impact how we go share the gospel in our community? Do you think that would impact how we approach missions? Do you think that would impact how we approach children's ministry and youth ministry and whatever the case may be? Do you think that would have an impact? I wholeheartedly believe it would. But here's what we have to do. We have to bring our baskets before him. We have to bring our baskets before him. It may not be much. It may not be a whole lot of money. It may not be a whole lot of time. It may not be a whole lot of talents. But instead of going, okay, I've got nothing to offer, so I don't offer anything. I simply go, Jesus, you take this and you use it. Bring them to me. And so here's my challenge to us today, church. We've got to see the kids do it and celebrate this, this interesting story from the Bible. But it still impacts us today. And I believe the call is still the same for us today. No matter how small or how large, we bring them to him. And we lay it down and we say, Jesus, I just want to watch you do something with this. Because in my hands... It's just five loaves and two fishes. But in your hands, it's enough to feed thousands. So how about we come today with open hands, 
to simply say, Jesus, you use it for your glory. The moment I'm going to pray, this altar is open if you need to come pray. If you need somebody to pray with, I'll be standing down here. But what if we came today with open hands and open hearts to say, Jesus, you use it for your glory. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. God, we pray now we would come with open hands and open hearts to simply say, Jesus, would you use it? Jesus, would you use it? It's not much in my hands, but it's a whole lot in yours. Would you use it? And God will give you all the praise, honor, and glory. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and respond today.
in the band for leading us. And so again, so glad to see you here today. If you're visiting with us, we'd love to meet with you out in the foyer. We have a gift for you. Um, remember to look over the bulletin, see a few things that are coming up. And so to dismiss, I'm going to put you on the spot and ask Taylor to come pray for us. Church, let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much, Father, that we have a God that we can believe in that we can put our faith in that we can we can bring it to you whatever whatever the thing is that we have in our life whatever the the obstacle or whatever the the process or whatever it is father that we're we're doing in life we can bring every single moment to you and you can handle it make something much more out of it than what we could have ever dreamed or imagined that it could be so, Father, with that, we trust you with our lives. Help us to trust you more. Help us to have faith more. Grow us in our faith. Help us to, to be steadfast, to be strong, to stand courageously, and hold fast to the promise and to the hope of a, of a God that is good enough for today and for eternity. God, we do love you. We praise you and, and give you glory in all things. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.